I'm Marianne Kolbesek McGee, Managing Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Ed Marks, CIO at Texas Health Resources. Ed has recently been named the 2013 John E. Gold Jr. CIO of the Year, a prestigious annual award bestowed jointly by the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives, or CHIME, and the Healthcare Information and Management Systems Society, or HIMSS. Ed will be discussing with us today his role in privacy and security as a CIO, as well as some of the efforts underway at his organization. Hi, Ed. First, I wanted to congratulate you on being named CIO of the Year, and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure, and I'm very thankful to my organization and the team around me that enabled that CIO of the Year award. As CIO at Texas Health Resources, please describe your role in information security and privacy at your organization. I leverage technology with my team to enable superior business and clinical outcomes for Texas Health, and certainly part of that foundationally to ensure appropriate level of privacy and security for our organization. So I have a chief security officer that reports both to me as well as our chief of compliance, and that way we have good checks and balances for the health system. So my role is very integral in ensuring that we do have the appropriate levels, as I mentioned, of privacy and security, but working in conjunction with our chief compliance officer. So now what are some of your top information security and privacy priorities at Texas Health Resources for 2014? What sorts of initiatives do you have underway? First and foremost is to make sure that we have an environment that is safe and secure. You know, in healthcare, we're talking about a lot of personal information, a lot of personal health information, or PHI as we call it. And so it's incumbent upon us as an organization to ensure that appropriate level of security and privacy. So one is just foundationally making sure we do have a safe environment, and we do. And so that's first and foremost. The second thing I would say is that we continuously enhance and optimize that environment. As we know, you, it's not a one-time event that you do security. We are always looking to optimize our environment. And so we do that in a number of different ways, right? We have internal audits done routinely. We have external audits done routinely, you know, whether it's, uh, testing, uh, you know, doing penetration testing, doing social engineering testing. We do a variety of tests both internally and externally to ensure that we are operating at the highest levels possible. And third is really being resilient, being a resilient organization because in this day and age, it's hard to avoid those sort of challenges. We see it every day, right, in, in the retail space uh, as of late, but we've seen it even in government agencies where they've been uh, had issues with security. And so we really work on this concept of resiliency, and that is how quickly can we identify an issue and how quickly can we mitigate that issue. And so that's really the third priority, always working on being a very resilient organization when it comes to security. Now, overall, what do you think are some of the biggest emerging privacy and security challenges facing the healthcare sector? I think that it's difficult for anyone, whether it's healthcare or otherwise, to stay ahead, right? It's a moving puck to try and stay ahead and anticipate where the security challenges of the future will be. So it's one thing to put in new systems and processes in place to deal with today's issues. It's quite another to think about, okay, where is that puck moving and how do we make sure that we're ready for the future? So that's one big area. 
But the second one, which I think is actually the bigger threat, at least in healthcare, is kind of on the social engineering side, right? So that what I'm talking about there is how do we deal with, you know, the everyday things that someone might not think about but can actually lead to an issue. So these would be things like a phone call that comes in to an employee and that employee answering questions that they shouldn't answer. And so it's incumbent upon us to educate all of our employees to make sure that they understand what's appropriate and what isn't. Another example would be email that comes in that says, hey, respond to this, or, or this is your service desk and we need to know your password. It's simple things like that that I think often get most organizations in trouble. So I call that social engineering. So we spend a lot of time at Texas Health to ensure that we don't become a victim of some sort of social engineering scheme. And so that's another area that really takes up a lot of our time and it's a high priority for us to really get our arms around. You're also the chair of the Texas Health Services Authority, which is responsible for coordinating the implementation of health information exchange in Texas. Now, as more health data is exchanged among healthcare organizations in Texas and elsewhere, what do you think are the biggest security and privacy issues that the industry still needs to figure out? Well, the beautiful thing about health information exchange is that we're finally taking advantage of all the rich data that is out there on each of us to enable better patient care and higher quality of care, right? So I'm personally thrilled to know that I spend most of my time in Dallas-Fort Worth, but oftentimes I'll be in Austin, Texas, for instance. And, and what if I'm injured and I am present at a hospital or at an emergency center and they now for the first time have my data with my permission and with the appropriate uh, security and privacy in place to get my data and take care of me and save my life. And I think that we always have to remember how that is happening every day. I talk to physicians all the time, and so that's an example of just moving within the state. I can give you examples of moving out of state, but since we're talking about Texas Health Services Authority, I'll keep my example within the state. So even talking with clinicians and family members uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth region where this sort of exchange happens robustly today, uh, the amount of lives that are saved, the quality of care that is enabled by doing this, and frankly, the costs that are reduced because we no longer have to do replicate the same tests. So there's so many advantages. But with those advantages comes the responsibility of ensuring safe practices and, and ensuring the privacy of people's information. So we go above and beyond to make sure that the appropriate regulations are there. We work with state lawmakers, and we have robust laws on books now to ensure privacy. We work very closely with experts within the state at our universities, as well as Dr. Deborah Peel, who's a, a Texas citizen, and she helps us quite a bit, too, to understand the implications and the reasons why we want to continue to strengthen our our privacy programs and our privacy processes. So that's very critical to us. So we do all those different things that I just mentioned. We ensure the technical requirements are there. You cannot exchange information in the state of Texas unless you meet our very robust technical standards, which includes audits. Number two, we have the right laws on the books to ensure that everyone understands what the requirements are and what the responsibilities are if you do not follow those requirements. And third is we just do a lot of education, as I mentioned, working with the universities in Texas, commissioning studies, and then publishing the results of those to make sure that everyone who's involved in this particular ecosystem of exchanging information understands not just the technical requirements, not just 
the implications of the technical requirements from a law point of view, but also what the processes are, what the implications are, and what is required of us to be good citizens in terms of exchanging information. So we try to hit all those three different areas to try to really make a difference and ensure that we can get the benefit of the exchange that I just mentioned and at the same time ensure our citizens that their information is protected. Texas Health Resources had an information breach last year that involved more than 200,000 microfiche records that were improperly handled by a vendor that was hired to destroy the records. What lessons can be learned from that incident? And in the aftermath of that incident, have there been any new technologies or safeguards put in place to prevent any sorts of breaches like that in the future? And if so, what kinds of safeguards? Yeah, I think the lessons learned is that we don't want to be a paper-based organization, and we're not. So that was many, many years ago. And in the last six years, we've gone completely electronic. And I'm a believer in digitizing records for a variety of reasons. One, it's better health care. We take better care of our patients, and we provide a higher quality level of care when we are digitized. But the second thing, as that incident points out, is we can have records be more secure. I believe that records are more secure when they're digitized than when they're in a paper-based product like we had 10 years ago. So that's definitely a lesson learned and a lesson reinforced why we, we went digital anyways. So in terms of the future, I think it is in the digitization of records. Now, Texas Health is a leader in this regard in this country, and so we've gone down this journey many years ago, and we continue to provide safeguards within our digital environment. So we wouldn't have an incident like what happened where we actually gave someone else paper records, microfiche, or what have you, and they would uh, lose those. You know, I recall an incident similar to that back in five, six, seven years ago with the Cleveland Clinic where they also had paper records and they had a van full of their paper records going down the middle of Cleveland downtown and the door blew open and all the records went everywhere. And I think they learned the same lesson, and that is, you know, we really need to digitize our records, and they have. And, you know, we have almost 6 million records now in our electronic health record system that are protected digitally, and we believe that that's really the future, and we continue to enhance the, the safeguard of those records in accordance with all the rules and regulations that we abide by. Now, looking ahead, are there any promising technologies that you're keeping your eye on that could bolster protection of data, including patient data that flows through medical devices and other gear that's involved directly with patient care? We're always looking for the latest and greatest. We work very closely with our partners and our vendors to ensure that we have what the best tools are that are available. And these come in a number of flavors. You know, and I think one topic of interest to everyone tangentially to this is the cloud, right, and the use of the cloud and how secure are our records in the cloud. And, and so we, we continue to explore that and to see if there is any advantage in terms of security in moving data to the cloud. We haven't done that yet, but that's another area where while it may on the surface look more at risk, there may be technologies associated with it that really mitigate that risk and perhaps make it more safe than kind of traditional ways of of dealing with data. So we continue to look with our partners. We do a lot of research and look at all the technologies that are coming out. I think one area we've really exploited well and continue to do so is with mobile device management. So, you know, everything's gone mobile, right? So before we would let anything out on a mobile, we had to make sure that 
we had the appropriate security. So we've done very well in this regard in terms of all of our devices being, one, encrypted, two, having policies that allows no patient information to be stored locally on any mobile device. So that has really helped us quite a bit. So that's a technology that we're, we're embracing. So when you sign up with us and you say, I want to use my mobile to interact with our you know, electronic health record, for instance, again, number one, policy by policy, there's no way that any of that data is stored on your device. But even though that's the case, if you lose your device, we will wipe clean that device. So we have the capability, and that's just part of our policy, part of our process, that if you want to use a smart device or any sort of mobile device and interact with any of our systems, any of our applications, you do allow us to put the appropriate software on the device uh, security-wise that allows us to control that device, and we will wipe out that device once it's reported stolen. So that's, those are some of the technologies that we, that we leverage to ensure a safe computing environment, that we keep all of our data uh, private. As that's a part of our promise to our, our patients. And, and that we comply with all rules and regulations, both at the federal, state, and local levels. So that, that's one way, that's one tangible example of how we're handling, you know, sort of future state, especially as it goes with mobile devices. Finally, Ed, is there any advice that you have for other healthcare CIOs, especially as it relates to privacy and security matters? My advice would be it's an area that requires constant attention, and it's a number one priority. So, Everything we do, my chief security officer sits at my leadership table, and he sits at the leadership table with our chief compliance officer. So number one is to make sure that they are treated as a peer, that they have the power and the authority required to do their job and that no one can put a roadblock in their way. So that would be number one. Number two is elevate the position so it gets the appropriate recognition and authority at the very highest levels of the organization. So for instance, our chief security officer, as I explained, reports to me, uh, half and report to chief compliance half. Then they head up a committee that's known as a IS Governance Council for Security. And on there are other uh, senior leaders, both from our clinical side and business side of the organization, and they're the body that approves new policy. So again, it's not limited by the CIO. So while I believe in CIOs, I am a CIO, we shouldn't hold on too tightly to the chief security officer because then we will limit their effectiveness. So by broadening it to this particular committee, many others have a sense of ownership into the importance of security so it doesn't become an IT thing because I think that would be dangerous if it's viewed as an IT thing. So, again, by having the chief compliance officer involved, having this IS Security Governance Council created really helps with that visibility and gives it additional authority, which leads to my third recommendation. And as it relates to authority is our governance council that I just explained actually reports to our audit and compliance committee of the board. So there's a direct line now between the board and our security. And it works very, very well. We've had this in place for about two years. So again, with that direct line of sight, we ensure strategic alignment. We ensure the security and privacy of our patient information. We give the authority that's required. We give the visibility that's required for successful security programs. So that would be my advise you, all my peer CIOs or organizations. Thanks, Ed. I've been speaking to CIO Ed Marks of Texas Health Resources. I'm Marianne Kolbasek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.